Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. My name is Craig, your host, and with me today is another person who is here to make me feel really bad about uh, my my lack of success in life. I'm just kidding. It's Leopoldo Gu. How are you doing, Leopoldo? I'm fantastic. It's sunny in New York City, and I'm ready for you, and I love your podcast, so I'm excited to talk with you and all your wonderful listeners. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I, I'm kidding about what I said, but only kind of. This actually reminds me a little bit of uh, an interview I did with S.L. Wong a few weeks ago, and people may remember that. And she came on and told her story of how she came to do what she did and all of the accomplishments that she'd had. Um, and I, you know, I just kind of sat there and went, oh my gosh, well, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> and when I look up Leopoldo's website, your bio, your story a little bit, it's a little bit of the same thing. You are not only an author, but you're also a film producer and director. You're an artist. You do all the things. Uh, and I, I don't know quite where to start with you, but let's start here. Your latest project coming out is a novel called Piñata. There dun, it is. Dun, dun. Look, dun, dun, dun. And it is, well, this is appropriate because it's a horror book, right? It's, uh, I've, I have not dipped into it yet, but I've read the synopsis and I've read some of the reviews and it seems properly terrifying. Uh, but tell us a little bit about Piñata. What is the book? The book is kind of like my exploration into kind of the demons and the horrors and the kind of power of post-colonialism from Mexico and um, using that energy. Um, so it has two lines, two thread lines. On the one hand is, you know, I grew up in Mexico City not with not a lot of money, but a lot of culture. So my mom was a political activist and she would take us to rallies for rights of women and indigenous people and languages and children. So I, I grew up in a, in a house that was full of books and art and huge writers and filmmakers and artists would visit my, our, our small apartment and made me feel that I was part of this bigger world. So Piñata has a little bit of that energy of, you know, going into Mexico City and looking at the Zócalo, which is the center core of Mexico City. Underneath there's a whole pyramid complex called Templo Mayor where, you know, the Spaniard conquistadors, they pull down the the pyramids and 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 build on top of the pyramids their churches and 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 with through a lot of violence both physical and 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 spiritual and mental they converted a nation into a different religion and kind of murder the old gods to bring them their their god and um and then on the other hand i had without getting any political i i'm raising a a, a kid and she you know, when she was just turning into a teenager a couple of years ago, that kind of was my shoe, my shoe drop because she was very enraged with certain things in this world. And, and, and I felt her anger and her rage. And I, you know, I grew up with a very powerful mom and two sisters and my brother, but the women in my family and, and the women that would come to my mother were amazing and powerful. There's in my Instagram, there's a few photographs of my mom's house and people, if they're curious to see what I'm talking about, there's old, my mom passed away, but there's some pictures of her that it's extraordinary and you can see her presence and her witchy powers. And I drew from these two kind of layers. So the book, you know, starts in the, you know, during the conquest and it's kind of like a horrific moment because I, I, you know, in my, I call them my wormholes of research. I had this incredible 
connection to to uh, a lot of art from the you know pre colonialism and then post colonialism and I discovered this painting uh, that was depicting uh, you know Catholic monks indoctrinating kids by Nahuatl kids, indigenous kids, forcing them to break a piñata and eat, eat the, in the insides. And that was like really horrific. That's something that Mexicans, we all do with lots of fun and games during our birthdays. And during a few other festivities, we break a piñata. The, 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 the origins was really sinister. So, so that twist, go, I, when I saw that image, I was like, Oh my God, how come Guillermo del Toro didn't see this before? I'm so lucky. <laughs> so I started to write like a crazy person. And so the story starts there and then it turns into, in a contemporary world, I, I used a little bit echoes of my mom and myself because I left Mexico. And I've always, even from my first novel, was, which is called Ghost Radio, that is also a horror uh, novel that it's getting a little bit of a renaissance online because Pedro Pascal, the actor of, Last of Us uh, did a beautiful uh, audio book of, the, of that book. So people are mm. rediscovering my first novel. But I touched on these images and elements of, of pre-Hispanic pre culture. So when, when, when in, the, in my book, there's this single woman kind of like echoing my mom, even though my mom stayed in Mexico, that takes on a summer her children to Mexico because she's an architect and she gets this job of redesigning an old, you know, an old hacienda slash monastery uh, into a boutique hotel, which is happening in Mexico a lot. Mm -hmm. And during that, they find a very old clay pot that kind of a piñata and, and that un unleashes some sort of like possession energy to them. So the that's the story, that's the bulk of the story. But I wanted to preface that it's, even though it has very visceral horrific moments and I use the, the genre, it's really rooted in my, you know, years of research that started in my first novel, that started in a lot of the, the films and TV shows that I'm doing. And that reach, research has carried up into Piñata. And, and the trigger was my daughter, Rage. So, so it was a combination of two very different things. Because when you're an immigrant to this country, there's things that you leave behind that I miss about Mexico in terms of how I'm, I'm raising my children because my, my wife is American and she loves New York. She's a staunch New Yorker. And, um, and I don't think we're going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, but I still feel that, you know, I, I try to bring them to Mexico as much as I can, but it's not the same. You know, I grew up in, you know, my mom had a, a place right across the street from pyramid. So I really grew up with those things, uh, that, those, that history very present in my childhood and those symbols and, 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 and um, sculptures and pieces of the, of, of history of Mexico were all there like a labyrinth for me to find it. And, and I feel that when you're a little kid and they take you underneath Mexico city to see the temples and you see the art, it's really like vivid history that you kind of touch and feel and smell. So that's yeah, kind of like where it is. Yeah. When it comes to horror, as a genre, it's similar to science fiction in a way in that um, there's, a, <laughs> there's a superstructure, uh, there's a, 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 the bones of the story may be um, 
you know the horror elements the 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 spirits unleashed you know as you say in this uh this clay pot that smashes it sounds like um you know so there's the bones of the story that are horror the the stuff that's going to scare you but kind of like science fiction you can take that and then put the meat on those bones of a story that means something that's trying to say something about ourselves or our society or something uh in your case it sounds like memory uh is a big um, it, 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 there's there's something about memory that seems to animate you in some of the uh, synopses and, and stuff that I've read uh, in prep for this episode. Is that fair? And, yeah. it, you know, is it, uh, do you lean more on personal memory? You know, I as you say, I loved growing up in Mexico and I miss some things about it and I'll always carry that with me. Is it more cultural? You know, here's this stuff uh, from pre-colonial times that we're forgetting about, the gods that were, uh, for lack of a better term, killed off uh, by the conquistadors or whoever. Um, and, and, you know, I want to retain that memory. Where do you, how does memory play into it for you? And is it more personal or cultural or both? Yeah, it's a great question. I love your questions already. So it's both for sure. It's, um, and, and, and to, to, to give you back a little bit of a bigger viewpoint of, of my processes, people think that I do a lot of different things, but it's not really a lot of the work that I do has very similar echoes. They're all layers of my memory. And I, and I love that the, my process as a creative person, I use it like a, like a vulture. I, I, I have a, this is going to make you laugh, but I do have a process where I'm very connected with scent. So I, I have my own meditational kind of process, even in my art, in my visual art, when I make paintings and sculptures, I use like deep dives into memory and, and I go very atomical in my memory. For example, I spent weeks just trying to remember the smell of my grandmother's door in her house from my father's side to just go atomically of saying, because I remember running to the door that was rusty and had this broken black paint so there was little holes from the rust and i would try to see who would come and open the door and after a week of really going through that image and those scents i started to remember oh what was in the left side what was in the right side and that memory is very atomical and very personal but at the same time i think it echoes through you know all of the other research that i do in terms of the historical past of Mexico, the, the the membrane that is still in the present, the fact that a lot of words that we use in America and in Mexico come from the Aztec, uh, the Nahuatl language, like avocado and jitomate, tomatoes. These are words that didn't exist in Europe or in Asia. They're 100% Nahuatl. So there's a connection with all of us, you know, the guacamole in the Super Bowl all over America, they're <laughs> literally saying, repeating an, a Nahuatl word, which I love it, you know, because it's kind of like a national kind of pressure these days. And there's not enough what uh, avocados Mexicans do for, to satisfy America. So I, <laughs> I, I love yeah. the macro and micro play with, um, with our, you know, with, with, with the way I deal with, with any creative things in, in, as I said, Sometimes I do that in a in a book, in the case of piñata, and sometimes I do it in a painting, and and I start with those layers, and I start with those 
kind of wormholes of history or mm. and sometimes are personal, sometimes are universal. But in the in terms of piñata, I really wanted to pull the idea that kind of la- what happens when a language and, a, and old gods get forgotten and do they are they angry that people are forgetting? What will they do? Kind of the feeling that there is this energy that they left imp- impregnated into the land, into our into our country and, 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 and in Mexico, literally, if you are, you know, if you go downtown, there's some places where the pavement of the roads in, in the Zocalo, which is right in the center of the city where the church and the government are in Mexico City, the, the faces of some Aztec sculptures kind of break from the pavement and they, they're kind of coming up. So that image has been haunting me forever since I'm like mm. four. And um, I used to go a lot to those uh, places with my mom. And, and I remember that, that feeling of like the, the, the pavement and uh, of modernity being broken by an ancient world that is trying to escape the prison that it has of, 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 of being forgotten, you know? And, and that is an, uh, a, a, a kind of a pulsating energy that I wanted to play with, with the characters and the storyline on in the in the piñata book it's um i i remember this this will sound like a tangent but i'll bring it back <laughs> i remember in the late 90s there was a a two-part miniseries with sam neill called merlin and he plays merlin the wizard and at the end of it he has to defeat the the evil kind of uh fairy goddess woman she's i remember she's malevolent. you remember this and in the end, the way that they defeat her is by turning around and saying, we forget you. And they just walk away. And, she, you know, being a fairy that she is, she if everybody forgets her, she just blows away in a puff of smoke, um, which was how the heroes defeated her. <laughs> but we're talking about trying desperately not to just turn around and forget something from our cultural past yeah. uh, or our personal past. Um, and it sounds like with, with your story of trying to remember the smell of your grandmother's door and, and spending a lot of time going back and thinking about that, it sounds like personally, it can be quite meditative, I would imagine, to spend that amount of time going back into your memories um, and, you know, spending some time meditating on those. And uh, I don't know, that feels very interesting. On the cultural side of it, you mentioned, you know, words that we've borrowed uh, that we still use today, like tomato and avocado. And, oh, was guacamole in there? Or that, or is yeah. That, uh, no, yeah. that's a derivative of that. Right. Um, but it's one of the things that, um, that I do love about the English language is that it's very, it has proved over the years very, very good at bringing in, adopting other words and, and phrases uh, from elsewhere. And what that does is in some way it it does create just a small capsule of memory for mm-hmm. anybody who is willing to go in and dig into the origin of the word tomato. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it can send you into a rabbit hole of cultural memory. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask you as, uh, as a Mexican American bilingual, what's your writing approach and do you enjoy writing in English versus Spanish or vice versa? Uh, I ask in part because I remember reading a, a quote from the Argentinian writer Borges, uh, Jorge Luis Borges, yeah. who, who said he just loved writing in English because you can do weird stuff with it that you can't do, do in other languages. 
Um, how is the process? How is the process for you writing uh, when it comes to English versus Spanish? How do you do it? Well, first of all, I'm Mexican. I'm not a Mexican American. I was oh, born okay. in Mexico. I grew up in Mexico, and I still have my Mexican nationality, even though I have a green card to live here. It's, you know, I don't know why I haven't gone. My passport is is not political at all. It's just I just right. never done it. Uh, my children are American, Mexican American, kind of. And, um, and I, you know, I, I went, I won a school. This is everything that I do has been a product of, of, of a reaction to things that happened to me. So nothing has been me saying, Oh, I'm going to write in English because blah, blah, blah. So I grew up with, you know, with a desire to get out of Mexico to try to, because the world was big, the world that I saw in, my mother's friends and the artists that would come and the National Geographic magazines that she had. And, um, and I grew, grew up with that kind of voracity of learning outside of, 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 uh, of my, of my circumstance. And I, I was lucky that I won a scholarship to study painting and sculpture in St. Martin's in London. I was a little bit of a, as a kid, I was a little bit of an Anglophile because of David Bowie and Francis Bacon and William Blake and, uh, you know, a few very eccentric British artists that I kind of felt passionate about the, also the, you know, the Goths and, and kind of England in that eccentric side, Peter Gabriel, Kate Bush was one of my biggest heroes. Mm. Now she became kind of famous from Stranger Things, but I've been collecting his records, her records since I was a kid in Mexico and, um, so I wanted to explore that world and learn, and I won a scholarship, and it was like winning the lottery. So, obviously, living many years in England, my my English started to 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 get a little bit better, and then I I came to the states as an artist, and I did a few shows. My family they've always been in the writing business, but I, you know, at, at first I was more of a visual artist, and art visual art is much more my comfort zone the the writing side i had to kind of it, it as i said it's a product of a reaction to circumstance and um so in 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 my first book i was i, I just survived a, a you know a horrible thing with my my wife and and myself lost a house uh our apartment in new york under a fire very mysterious circumstances rent, rent control i don't want to get into it but you can imagine what happened but we, we, from one day to another, we had a six month old baby and we, and a dog and our house just went into a fire and I, we lost everything. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and my house was a very long apartment that, that had my studio and my house. So I was painting, like really doing, getting back into art and was very excited for a show that I wanted to, to do for a gallery. And then, um, and the, and the fire kind of like gave me PTSD and I, uh, you know, it took me a minute to get back in track, uh, of, and, and, and of even to go back into art, it took me really a, a big, a big, a, some, some decent amount of time, but I, but during that time I, I wanted to do something. So I started to do this graphic novel, but the, but the, the word, you know, the, the, the bubble started to get longer and longer and bigger and bigger. And the drawing started to get small because I was working in cafes and at photocopy machine company, company uh, businesses and 
all over the city. And I was very discombobulated. And I, I, I was trying to process what happened uh, when you lose a house. I, I, I was a little distracted. And between that and being a new dad, it was kind of like overwhelming. Um, so one day a publisher friend of a family saw the, the, the work and, she, and he said, listen, turn this into a novel. I'll pay you much more than for a graphic novel. This is great. And this is years ago. This is 2006, you know, like, uh, you know, and I, I was, and so by 2007, I, 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 I you know, I, I said, yeah, I'll need the money. So I got, you know, they paid me really well to, to just write it. So it was like a, my first novel was a product of not having a house and running around. And I did some illustrations in the novel. That's Ghost Radio, the, the book. And, um, and I, and I, and that was my first novel. And then for a lot of different reasons, I, I worked with a very famous writer for a while and kind of like it, it's been not that I chose to work in English, even though I agree with Borges, it's a wonderful kind of sculptural language. You can really, I've, I've invented words that I put in my books that they don't catch me. I've invented quotes <laughs> from famous people that, you know, I just invented, I, I keep inventing like quotes from Genghis Khan and people reproduce my quotes. And like, he, he didn't leave any, any writing, but I've been using it for years, like different things that I feel he said, because I'm a history nut. And I, I feel he, yeah, sure, he once said, said he, yeah. he could have said that, but I literally quote him and put his date. And people have have reproduced it in papers and stuff, and they use me as a, as a very fire called on 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 Gehi's can, which is incredible. And so so English is like a like a sculpture to me, and I do need a lot of help. I mean, I have, my, I have incredible editors at Nightfire, and my first uh, publisher was Morrow. I also just did a, another book that just came out called a. You know, that is part of a trilogy of espionage books with a totally different, with Simon Schuster. And it's a, and I did it with a pseudonym because the book, um, it's a British spy novel. Uh, and I co-wrote it with a British writer. Mm -hmm. So we decided to come up with a new personality that is the mixture of both of us. And he's a wonderful, I, I didn't have the skills of old English. So, but I had the idea and the characters and right. so, so. My, my, my books are like a, like a sculpture. I really like process information in a very particular way. And, um, and it's become the language that I used to write. Um, you know, being married to an American obviously like helps, I guess, but, but I've been very comfortable on it and, and without saying that it's not hard because I'm dyslexic and, See, I, you know, I, it's a struggle for me to write, but I love the challenge, but it's a big struggle. So, um, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, to me, it's a different quality. I mean, Jorge Luis Borges is also one of my favorite writers. He's a proper, you know, kind of classic master of the language. I'm a raconteur. I'm like, I, I want to, I want to tell propelling stories that are visual and I love books because it's, um, it's a tiny kingdom that you do with your publishers and you don't need like the whole apparatus of Hollywood. It's more like a painting. So, and after mm. a while you, you have these objects that are beautiful that go in shelves or go in desks or go all around the houses. And I love that, you know, to me, I see it like a thing that is alive and that's why I still collect books and I buy 
every time I meet a writer, I buy their books, whether I like them or not. And <laughs> I just love the, yeah. the physicality of it, the paper, the smells of them, the, you know, it's a very tactile way of, 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 of digesting a story and getting into that story. And it allows me to, to go into places that, that are there and they exist and they, they have their own little memories and stuff. So, so, so it's not, a it, it wasn't by, by choice. It was by, by accident. A lot of my work in all of the things that I do, it's a layered process of accident. Hmm. Even in the TV shows, I'm, I'm doing a TV show now for Netflix that will come later this year called the chosen one. And, and, and the, we, my brother and I created that show in, um, you know, together in a, in a crazy, beautiful place. And, um, and it has, uh, and also it was like the accident of themes that it's based on a, on a, on a graphic novel, but then from the graphic novel, we started to riff and bring in ideas of, uh, you know, with, with our, of our mother ideas, very personal ideas that we, we kind of used to, it's a Mark Miller, great graphic novel, but called American Jesus, but we used it as a, platform to inject a lot of our personal journeys and, and, and feelings. And, and it's the same that I did in, in my, in Piñata in the novel. So all of the process that I do, I really see a, a, a connection and they're not as different as people might assume they are. And I, I want to get to your screen work in a moment, but I do have another uh, one, one more question, maybe just one more. We'll see about your book. No, many, Hold up many. that cover again. <laughs> Hold up Pinata again. So for those watching on YouTube, you can see this. And uh, for those listening on the podcast, just go look it up. You know, go go to leopoldogut.net uh, or go to Amazon, look up Pinata. It is a remarkable cover. I, I, it's it's uh, very evocative. But there's something, as I was looking through your website, there's another book that you have on there called Monarca uh, mm -hmm. about a girl who turns into a butterfly, etc. Um, and it, it got me to thinking, here are these books that you're advertising on your website, and both of them are either directly or indirectly dealing with butterflies, moths. Uh, mm -hmm. this, there's this imagery. What is it that, that draws you to that? Uh, why the fascination with moths and it's butterflies? A, it's a great question. Um, so there's two... You know, there's two components to this because Monarca was a book that I did, you know, during COVID and it was, and I illustrated all of the, you know, more than a hundred images and I co-wrote it with a friend of mine called Eva Arigis, but it's like, it was our, it was a beautiful um, fable that, you know, I had a, this idea since I took my daughter when she was four or five to Mexico and we went to a very near where the, in Michoacan where the, where the butterflies are. And, and a lot of butterflies were kept, kept like landing on her head. And I, I put it on a drawer and one day there's been a lot of uh, um, changes in the, in this particular sanctuary where millions of butterflies go from the north of, from Canada all the way to Mexico. This is more than 6,000 miles. And, it's a very delicate creature that no creature with an atomic mass travels so far. So it's like the most mm -hmm. delicate creature has these extraordinary journeys that is in reverse of most migration. And I, and I started to study them. And thanks to 
you know, Eva, which later on we discovered that her dad was very involved in in turning that sanctuary into a into a protected by UNESCO, uh, you know, World Heritage, you know, land. Mm -hmm. Like a, a so UNESCO it, site. Yeah. yeah. And it gave me chills because I didn't know when I approached Eva, I just knew that she was a, you know, animal rights activist and a filmmaker. And I wanted to like work with a, with, with her for a long time. And she has a daughter and I had a daughter and she knows a lot more of ecology and conservation. So I wanted that you know, that access that. And I just say, why, why, why can't we write a book together? Like, and we did that. I have pure freedom with books. It's like jazz. I don't care of the rules of how other people make them. This is just my way. And, and we, we worked together and I showed her my story and then together we kind of took it to the next level. And it's uh, but it was all positive. Like the world was really on fire and dirt and dark. And we wanted to do it like a sunrise, like a sun sunrise. But then um, I always had this image of piñata and, 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 and when, and when, when it was a time that the pen, the piñata is kind of like the dark sister of, of Monarca. And, and, mm. uh, because I wanted to do this horror thing and I was immersed in the butterflies and all of the mythologies. And there are some really terrifying goddesses that use the shape of the monarch or the other, or moths into their existence. Now, also, what's extraordinary is that uh, this creature is the only creature that actually has two, not, I don't know if it's the only, but it's one of the only creatures that has two DNA strands in the same animal. So when, when it's a larva, it's one DNA strand, and when it's a butterfly, it's, it's, a, it's a different DNA. So it's- an, I didn't know that. Is that all, all butterflies or monarchs yeah, specifically? Yeah. No, no, all butterflies have two oh, okay. DNA strands, and which is crazy. And it's yeah, amazing and magical. And it's like uh, scientists think that it's because there were two animals that kind of joined forces through evolution and, and, uh, <laughs> and they still maintain that those things. And, um, and there's a, I mean, I could spend hours talking about why and how the indigenous people, you, you know, related to them and how they, they, they saw them as spirits and how, you know, they come all the way to Mexico, the monarchs. And during the day of the dead, so, you know, like it's, it's kind of the same season when they go to, to the South to, to rest and to get and to make out basically. So you go to this forest and there's millions of us and there's these creatures, they're all making out and it's, it's, <laughs> and they're taking the sun. So this it's, it's a, a million creatures having, uh, you know, making love. So it's, it's extraordinary. It's powerful. And it's something I wanted to draw from that magic. And then when I started doing piñata serendipitously, you know, I wanted to explore this, this rage of the gods that have been destroyed and forgotten. And I wanted to, so I started to go deep into some of the research that I've done with, with Aztec mythology and be, because monarchas go through the center of Mexico, through the Aztec and the Purepechua territories and then they land in Michoacán, which is Purepecho, but it's that same Nahuatl kind of uh, DNA. The Nahuatl is the, the, the kind of the, not the culture, but the, the, the you know, societal strain, mm -hmm. the, the Nahuatl of the, of the center of Mexico. And it's, there's a lot of different cultures, you know, but I chose that one because that's where I grew up. That's where the butterflies pass through. And, and, and I discovered that one of the most terrifying gods, goddesses are the Sitsimine that I used as a boogeyman in our, in our book, the horror. 
and they they are they sometimes they're represented by you know deities with like human and butterfly and skeletal shapes and it's it, it, you know these people had this crazy imagination that i you know i can't stop saying like there's nothing more more terrifying than a lot of the things that i've experienced in aztec uh art and uh and, and i draw a lot of energy from that so i love the those layers of information and and i it, and it was very natural i didn't plan to have two books with butterflies, it just happened naturally during the process, and I kind of worked really back to back on the on the two books, so so it's, you know that's why there's a connection. Yeah, it's and and I I'm if I take anything from this conversation, uh, well, I should say if I take one thing, if I take any one thing, it'll be you know, I've always thought of moths and butterflies as, you know, it, they represent change. Anybody who's seen Silence of the Lambs, uh, you know, uh, represents change, right? Uh, but I'm, I am really digging this idea of the two DNA strands and the idea of, of two, two creatures op, uh, occupying one body and yeah. uh, kind of some symbiotically working together to uh you know to effectuate and also they have they have the memory they they're they're born with this memory to go six thousand miles to this one forest they are also every culture almost every culture i've asked those they all have the same feeling like people say oh i i feel butterflies in my stomach um (laughs) yeah um when they are in love and at the same time a lot of cultures use the butterfly to carry the souls to the land of the dead. So there's, there's so many things that are extraordinary about these creatures. They're super pollinators, you know, almost a bigger pollinator than bees there are right. a lot of the butterflies. And, um, and it's, uh, it, it's, uh, for being this delicate creature that can cause a storm around the world in also in many cultures, there's the same, the, 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 the quote of that, but, um, they still achieve so much, even though they're so delicate. So I'm fascinated by that of the, the, you know, there's a painting, for example, of that haunted me since my art school, that is of uh, Gainsborough, the British art uh, painter in 17th century, and and he and there's a or 18th century, I can't remember right now. On these lexics so of forgive me for badly quoting his his time, but he painted this gorgeous painting of these of two sisters. Uh, running and chasing a butterfly, and, and it's a weird composition. It's it's a painting he did for himself that is in the National uh, Gallery in London, and and the but you can look look for it online. And and the butterflies is way on the corner of the left hand side of the painting, and they and one of the daughters have a net, and the the two daughters are, you know, twelve turning thirteen, so kind of exactly like my daughter when I was writing uh piñata and uh and you feel and, and also monarca it was like in that point where you know that when they catch the thing um there'll be women and everything will change or the whole world will go dark and it's a very odd composition of the anxiety of a dad understanding that your daughter has that fleeting moment where everything will change and um and it's wonderful and terrifying as well and uh so i so i was you know, I've been, this, this image has been in my head for a long time. And I think that's one of the reasons they, it filtered into the two books. 
Perfect. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, and we, we've been very philosophical, which is my comfort zone. I love this stuff. I could talk about this for hours, but I I did say I want to talk about your screen work as well. You are uh, you're a documentary film director. You're a producer of stuff that's uh, fiction and nonfiction. You you do a lot of stuff on screen. Um, let me let me ask you the forbidden question, the question nobody is supposed to ask. Mm-hmm. What does a producer do? <laughs> now, here's oh. why I ask, because when as uh, as regular viewers of, you know, whatever programs, a Netflix program or a movie that you go see or, or a documentary that gets made, you see uh, uh, the actors, obviously, you know what they're doing. The director, we have an idea of what they're doing. But then we see producers and executive producers. Can you and, and you've done a lot of uh, of that work. You've been a producer and an executive producer. What do those terms mean? Can you spell that out for our audience? Yeah, I mean, it changes for from person to person. Everybody's different, you know, in this medium. Some people just find the money and they're a producer. Some people, I my work is exactly as I described at the beginning of this podcast. Like what I do is I find stories. Sometimes I write them, but sometimes I can't. Like, you know, I, I one of my big successes was Molly's Game, a movie that I did mm. with... Aaron Sorkin, Idris Elba, and Jessica Chastain. And I, before the movie, I helped Molly, the real Molly Bloom, who was, you know, doing an illegal poker game in New York. I met her in a party and we just became friends. And she was running this exotic, super high-end poker club with very beautiful women surrounding all these degenerate men and actors and filmmakers and government people and multi-billionaires. And I... Love, I hate poker, by the way, and I hate celebrity things like that. But I love that she was super smart and she was like a woman in a man's world. So I was interested and I remember telling her, Molly, we should do a, we definitely we should do a book and then a TV show or a movie or something. And we had a huge fight that she wouldn't talk to me in six months. And then one day she came back and like in the movie, she was beaten up by the mob. The FBI raided her house. So she called me and said, like, I think you're right. I, I think I have to do a book, but I don't want to, um, to, to, to tell more names than they have been leaked by the press. I'm not giving mm. a, I'm not giving away my blacklist. So instead of making a million bucks for the book, she made like 30 grand. And I was there throughout the process and, and, and she was really genuinely so she's, one of the coolest people I've I've ever worked with. So we did the book and the book got rave reviews and, you know, an excerpt on Vanity Fair. And then it, was, it, it took us a while. A lot of people were interested, but also a lot of very powerful people in Hollywood wanted to destroy the film and uh, because they were afraid that she was going to reveal them. And we tried to do a TV show with a very famous showrunner and then that didn't work out. And then another famous showrunner, I don't, I'm not going to name names, but she started to negotiate on our behalf with, with ABC and they made us a big offer, but they wanted to cut me out from the process. And I, and uh, Molly was very loyal to me. And, and then through my lawyer at the time, a wonderful guy called Ken Hertz, he literally was neighbors or something with, with Aaron Sorkin. And I said, I just, we just need five minutes. And he accommodated that. And he hated, by the way, he's, he screamed at me saying, Leopoldo, you're always asking like this is not the way Hollywood work. And I was like, I don't care. I don't, I'm not Hollywood. I'm an artist and I'm trying to do this story. <laughs> and he opened the door. And then I, once we had Shorkin um, secure that he wanted to do this as a film and write the script. Then I went to 
Hollywood with uh, you know with with you know I started to operate and I landed to a to, with a wonderful financier financing producer. And then we we developed the the movie and but 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 I you know I was from the inception of the book all the way to the to the post production so in that case I was involved and you know but, the, but at some point you know this mega producer came in and his people kind of pushed me aside and that was okay I was it was all about Molly and you know my credit is there and I know what I did for that film hmm. and everybody and, and Aaron Sorkin wrote a beautiful letter to me. Uh, about about how he saw me and he like it's a short letter but it's like it's like a diploma I have it in my you know I put it up in the in the wall and then um, you know Molly and I are still really good friends and you know she you know she openly says like to everyone she meets that the guy who made her film was me so it just depends on the circumstance but you know other films like Days of Grace my first movie I co-wrote my my brother and I was much more physically involved in every step of of the way and other documentaries I've done, I've been on the camera, I've been on every single style you can imagine, but my, but I'm the wrong person to ask what a producer is because what, <laughs> how I do it, yeah. but, but to answer to people, mostly how I do it is, you know, I, I have an idea or I find an idea or I meet someone and then I work, I'm like a dog with a bone until something happens. And I've been very fortunate to do a lot of different movies and TV shows across the last 20 years, I basically have done, you know, one or two a year and it's all been through being, being doggedly and all of them take, uh, they, it, nothing gets done fast and it's all, and for every one that I've made, 15 I've been said no to, like, you know, the, you know, the same with, you know, The Filthy Rich, which is a big documentary that I didn't direct, but I produced uh, at Netflix and, and um, that project, we started investigating doing this thing uh, when Epstein was free. And um, so he was very threatening us. And we went to 19 companies with an Oscar nominated director. Everybody wanted in the room. And then probably Epstein would call the net, the network's bosses and they would call us and say, no, you know, we, our legal team thinks that we can't do it. So obviously he was blocking us. 19 companies, including Netflix said no to me. And then my cousin, like I grew up with this guy who now not, no longer works at Netflix, but he started to run Netflix Europe. And he, uh, I called him and I said, look, the Americans do it all the time. I need nepotism. I need to do this documentary because my partner is freaking out and it's a big story. So he bought it against the sayings of, of Netflix. And it, it went enormously successful. When he bought it, he told me, you need to bring in a mega director so I went back to friends that had already told, turned me down, which was Joe Berlinger and Rick Media, and I begged them to look at it again. But now I had a buyer. So then Joe, it's all Joe Berlinger decided I want to do it because he's a buddy of mine. And, uh, and he's an Oscar nominated director and he's been amazing. And, and he decided to bring his whole team there. But I had already the, the, the story and the, in a book, a best-selling book and, uh, um, you know, and, and, and Netflix had already agreed to, to buy it on, on the condition that I would find somebody like Joe. And it was a very successful project, but, you know, there, there were a bunch of producers because I can't do everything. I'm not good at that. So there, we had a producer that was in charge of, like, making sure that every woman that was interviewed there 
it has the right tone. We brought in a co-director for Joe. He didn't even end up directing. It was directed by Lisa Bryant, who is because Netflix and us decided like it's it's so horrible what happened to these women that they brought a they wanted to bring a women director to be able to interview with a different perspective all of the survivors of his stuff. They're not victims; they were survivors of the stuff, and um, and. And we need a producer to access to the, those people and convince them to work with us. So every producer has a different, a different um, relationship with a project. And you shouldn't like for the people I listen to. I, you know, when people roll their eyes, you, you know, I always tell them like, you never know. Maybe that person. I've given credit to producers that all they did is give me the access to to someone, and they earned it. I don't care. I, don't, I have no greed of the. You know, it's the movie business is done by a big collective of people, and you know that's why you know my ego stays in my paintings and with my kids, and um, and that's a little world that I do that I do on my own. But producers are the 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 the, the mechanics of make of getting a make a movie done, the sculptors of getting a movie done. Sometimes I get a I love to work with my younger brother, who's a big director now, and you know it's it's a it's a it's a it's a very big passage of of uh i don't consider myself a normal producer i'm like more like a cook in a line of of a kitchen and i'm trying to bring the ingredients it just happens that the thing that i'm really good at is finding the original ingredients and putting them together but that doesn't mean that i don't affect the project all, all the way until the end but it's but it's um but it's part of the of the change of reaction because to make those movies like everybody that says oh yeah i made this movie on my own it's very that's not true. Like mo movies are made by little <laughs> right. armies. It's just that you know, in America was the the whole mythology of the of the single, you know, Jackson Pollock artist, you know, working against the winds and 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 making a movie. But but you know, you ca I can go through every movie ever made, and 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 you'll see that you know, Alfred Hitchcock in his. He said, written by Af Alfred Hitchcock. I read his biography. There's 18 people that used to work for him and his wife. And the wife was the one who was typing the entire process of his movies that were written by him. So there, you know, the, everybody had a different process. And, um, and that, and that's what a producer do is find a person. Now there's very effective producers that are very Hollywood, that are wonderful, that I, that, that from start to finish, they know how to, you know, book a movie in the traditional way and find a writer and development, you know, and I know some of them and they're my masters, like, you know, William Horberg, there's great producers that are the real deal that you know that they've been involved in every step of the way. My brother, who's a director, he's a phenomenal producer as well. So it's just, it's, but it's, it's something that you should never first roll your eyes. You should, like, it's more exciting to just, you know, so what do you do? You what did you do in that movie? What how was your relationship? How was your your involvement? And 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 some people didn't do much, but what they did caused uh, a domino effect to get a movie made. So mm. do they have the right to be a producer or not? That's a big conversation, and it's a wonderful conversation. But I love the 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 process, and I love everybody that is involved, and everybody that really helped and worked on the project has the right to. To, to to dance in the in the in the happy moments. Well, yeah, it sounds like a uh, you know, producer could be any number of things, but the your style of it fits very well with how you were talking about your books and your art, which is uh, when you were comparing 
yourself, what you do versus what uh, Jorge Luis Borges did, you said, I'm a raconteur. And uh, that seems to fit really well. You're a storyteller. You want to shepherd a story from inception to release. Um, And and this is one more way of doing that. Well, uh, Leopoldo, I appreciate you taking this hour to chat with me about all this stuff. Uh, It's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, the book is Piñata. Uh, hold that up for me one more time. We've got Piñata. So people can go check that out. It's a, it's a, a kind of Mexican horror book that takes place, it sounds like, in large part in New York City, but with a lot of uh, Mexican folklore that comes in. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to my copy. I know it's, it's on its way to me. So I'm but you can do it my... as well, man. I always tell this to everyone that I talk to that when they say, oh, my God my career, this and that. You're also a great storyteller. You asked some of the best questions that I've, that I've had asked and you notice things on my work that is very meaningful. And I always tell, you know, people it's like the, the, the best way is to let the universe um, happen and work itself through you. Like there is a, a lot of ideas that you're talking to me about today in today's conversation that for you, it's like your whiteboard. So I always tell people, look, mm. when, when you're a little stuck, when you, when you want to, when you don't know how to do more things than what you're doing, like my, everybody has a different style to break that, that, that fear. Um, but I, I, I feel that you have a wonderful, uh, you know, like a detective, you really came to the boiling points of my, of, of the structure of what I do. So, do the same for you, like put a big whiteboard and start putting your, your rabbit holes and it doesn't matter. But I always tell people start small, like start a rabbit hole, not by what is the meaning of the universe, but, <laughs> but started yeah. by the, an, an atomic thing. It's like the, you know, oh, the, the actual weight of, you know, there's a place in England that has the sculptures of the real weight of a kilogram and a meter in. Mm-hmm. And you, who made that and how do they made them and why that weight? And like, you can start very atomically on ideas and they always take you to wonderful journeys. And then you meet people randomly that you have to just be open to that. And, and, and it's a, it, what I love about being in this country is that it has so many opportunity because right now I'm in the middle of production of a podcast. It's my first podcast. I know everybody's doing podcasts, but in this podcast, I, you know, I'm co- working with a, with a, it's a memoir based on a book I helped publish and, uh, called, you know, the book is called Pesos and, uh, by Pietro Lagreca and the podcast, we're doing an experiment. It's not the audio book. It's a, it's the audio book happened. And we're also doing a podcast in the podcast. We, 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 we're hiring over 50 actors. It'll be an experience. I have no clue if it's going to be good, but we're doing <laughs> something amazing. totally different. Most podcasts have four or five people. We're doing a total kind of, Cinema del Arte craziness and, and experiential. Luis uh, Abu is, is a family member who's actually directing that piece. But it was, you know, I, I heard that idea a few years ago and I said, this is going to be a great book and a great podcast. And I'm putting together this for a, for a few years now. And now it's actually happening. And Audible gave us all the tools to, to you know, financial and, and legal to, to go and do it. And it's going to be difficult because it's like, Managing all of these stories and making them flow is difficult, but it's the same than in Piñata. In Piñata, there's, you know, 500 years of history that I had to converge into a modern 
you know, genre horror story of a mom and two daughters and how do you converge that in a flowy, you know, deep dive, but, but, but well, cool it's, way, you know? Like finding the, the history of the word tomato, uh, you can find all the facts and, and create your bullet list of what the facts are, but then how do you tell a story? Exactly. The story of the word tomato would be, uh, would actually probably be a really good book. I think you should do that. I think you should do that. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea. I think you should do that. And I think that it should be a scratch and smell book. Hey, there we go. Yeah, I I personally love tomatoes. I eat them like apples. Yeah, me too. Uh, me too. And I think I just lost a bunch of listeners by admitting that. So really, no, they <laughs> people lo- don't like tomatoes, Leopoldo. I don't know what it is, but people don't like. Tomatoes. Well, we 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 have to convert them. They they there haven't had a good one. Like you go to Italy and you you know the or Mexico and you find a good like farm that they they have really good ones and it's like. You can eat them like apples, I promise you. There you go. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on. The book is Piñata. Any other projects you want to point people toward? Anything coming up? Well, Piñata is my is, is is what I want people to 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 hear. And then go to my Instagram, which is Leopoldo Leopoldo. I put a lot of my art there. I just I love people and I want to I want everybody to be happy and experience this, you know, ride. And then through my Instagram or my website, I think they can discover other things that I'm doing. Um, but I want to keep it very focused on this call for, on this, you know, beautiful interview for, because I put my, my heart and soul on this book and my blood is there. And, and there's so many things. I mean, we could talk for five hours on, on, on the book, but I know that your listeners probably have other things to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can go check it out at leopoldogood.com. That's G O U or sorry.net uh, G O U T. And, Honestly, don't worry about spelling it because I'm going to put the link in the show notes so people can go check that out, uh, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on your your podcast catcher. Uh, just look for the link in the show notes uh, and you can check that out there. While you're there, don't forget to visit thelegendarium.com where you can check out past episodes sorted by author, by subject. You can also find a link to our Discord server where we have thousands of other uh, reading nuts just like you who want to talk about books and they're very friendly about it. So go check that out. And lastly, our Patreon link. If you appreciate what we do on this show and you want to support us, uh, please go there to thelegendarium.com and you'll find all of those links. All right, Leopoldo, once again, thank you so much. One thing, what a good name. (laughs) The Legendarium is fantastic. And the logo, whoever made that logo, I'm envious. I love the logo (laughs) and I love the... You should do t-shirts. I would buy a t-shirt. I, I will send you a T-shirt. I, I will. I, I'll talk to you I, I about love that. It. It's um. I love. It. I am not a designer. I have I've had horrific uh, success or lack thereof with design in the past. But that logo is the one thing I ever did that worked. It's beautiful. <laughs> so it feels it. like medieval medieval's like history. <laughs> you know, I, I really uh, like I appreciate it. it. Well, thanks for the kind words and thanks everybody for listening. I will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>